If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We've been walking through Romans chapter 12 for now. Uh, this is our fifth week, and as I shared before, chapter 12 takes a turn. The beginning of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, uh, Paul lays out doctrine. He lays out truth. And then when he gets here to 12, he makes a turn to more practical application because Paul believes that behavior will always follow belief. If you want to know what someone believes, watch their behavior. And he continues in talking about that behavior today in that how we relate one to another in the church and outside of the church. He's been talking for the first couple of verses about how we relate to God and what our expectations are and what God's expectations of us is and now he's going to begin to take a turn and look at the church and look at how you and I as Christ followers are to act within the church to make a difference outside of the church. In Segovia, Spain, uh, which is a beautiful area, there is a Roman aqueduct that was built in 109 AD. Beautiful aqueduct. If you've ever seen the Roman and the Greek ruins that are all throughout southern western Europe, uh, they're amazing to see. But this aqueduct was beautiful. It took the, the, the water that was in the mountains around the hills of Segovia and brought it into the city. And for 1,800 years, it was the only source of great drinking water for those that lived in that city. Over 60 generations used that aqueduct as their source of water. But around the turn of the last century, around the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, some of the city leaders began to notice tourists coming to see the aqueduct. People were making a way to come and see it. And so they decided, they began to think, we want to preserve this aqueduct so future generations can see it. We want it to be a museum piece. We want it to be something special. And so to be able to do that, what we need to figure out is a way to reroute the water away from the aqueduct so the aqueduct can stay in its present form. So they took some huge pipes, 1910, 1911, and they built a, a new way for the water to make its way from the hills to the city of Segovia. They set aside the aqueduct as a museum piece. And almost instantly, the aqueduct began to fall apart. You see, what they didn't plan on for those 1,800 years, the water moving over that aqueduct and coming around that aqueduct had protected it from the sun's harms. And when the water had been removed, all of a sudden the sun began to, to cake in to the molding that held the bricks and, and began to break it away and it began to dry up and fall off. And as that molding began to fall off, all of a sudden the bricks began to come loose and the aqueduct began to sag. And one historian that was, had known the aqueduct, had seen it in its glory, said this, What ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated. When it stopped serving its purpose, it began to fall apart. And the Bible tells us that the same can be said of Christians. When we are not serving, when we are not fulfilling God's purposes for our life, we dry up and we fall apart. And if that can be said about Christians, then it can also be said about the church church stops having Christians serving or neglecting their calling and their giftedness to the church, the church becomes nothing more than a museum piece. The church stops being relevant to the culture around it. Matter of fact, a Gallup poll that came out three years ago that uh, surveyed Christians across the United States of America, it found that across those who claim the name Christ, only 10% said that they were actively serving within their church. 10% of those who claim to be Christians 
And as crazy as that number is, what was even crazier within that survey is of those 90% that said they were not serving in the church, 50% of them, half of those, more than half of those 90% said that no matter what someone said or did, they were not interested in ever serving. They just came to be spectators. They just came to sit. When, when the church asked for them to serve, they said, I don't feel led. Or they said, I'm too busy. Or they said, I have other things going on. And we wonder why churches are closing their doors at record pace. We wonder why we're seeing our culture get turned over and changed. We wonder why we are losing the battle for the souls of our nation. It's because half the church is sitting on the sidelines. See, Jesus never intended the church to be like that. Jesus had a great expectation for His body, the church, and He expects every Christian, every person who claims the name Christ, person that He has saved, to be actively using their gifts and their talents for His service, His ministry, His glory, His kingdom. Now I want you to see what Paul says about it. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start back in verse 3 where we ended last week. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us have one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is to prophesy, let him use it. If his gift is faith, let him serve. If it's serve, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So what is he saying here when he lists out these seven spiritual gifts at the end of this passage? The focus is not necessarily on what the gifts are. This is just a small list. Many people call this the motivational gifts or or the grace gifts. There's a bigger list in 1 Corinthians 12. There's another in Ephesians chapter 4. He's not wanting you to focus on the gifts. What he's wanting you to focus on is what he says after the gifts. If you have this gift, use it. He says the body of Christ is many individual pieces, but those individuals come together to form Christ's body. And when we do, we serve, we minister. And the neat thing about this passage, when he talks about service, when he talks about minister, is those two words are the exact same Greek root word. It's diakona. Same word we get for deacons. Diakonos is deacons. What does that mean? It means serve. It means minister. Whenever we talk about, in the New Testament, apostles or or deacons or teachers or church members serving or ministering, we find this word diakonos. Matter of fact, Jesus set the standard. Listen, Matthew 20, 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, diakono, but to serve, diakonai. Two forms of the same verb. If you want to decide what ministry is or how ministry is defined, it can simply and easily be defined by using whatever God has given to you to serve Him and the needs of others. Ministry without service is not ministry. The two are linked. And all ministry is service, and all service is ministry. And what Paul is trying to reinforce here in Romans 12 is that the body of Christ is called to serve. We're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're not called to take a time out. We're not called to let other people do what God has gifted you and I to do. 
And if the church is ever going to be healthy and active, Paul is saying that every individual member must be a part of that service. You see, he wants us to understand that in the church there are many diverse gifts. Each one of us has been given a special gift or gifts to serve God. And it is that diversity of gifts unified as one that makes the power of the church. See, when all of us come together, and and it's just the same as as the way we're dressed. Nobody's dressed the same. Well, Sid and Matt and I kind of dressed the same today. I don't know how that worked out. but (laughs) None of us are Twinkies, right? We're not all wearing the same thing. We're diverse. But we come together and we allow that diversity to what? Create a beautiful picture because we're all individuals. And that is the power of the church. And what Paul is saying is the power is released through our diversity. I use my gift and you use your gift and you use your gift and you use your gift. And because all of us have different gifts and different ministry styles, we can minister to so many more people outside the walls than we ever could before. Not using your gift. When only one group of people, 10% of the church is using their gifts, we lose our diversity and we become one-dimensional. We only focus on one ministry area or one thing. We do that very good at the expense of everything else. That's not how God created the church. He created all of us to be serving. He created all of us to be a part. It is that interdependence. What does he say in verse 5? We are all part of one body and members belong to the others. We cannot be a healthy, growing church if we are not interdependent one with another. He's saying, you need me, I need you. He's saying for you and I that the body is not intended to serve the members. The members are intended to serve the body. It goes back to what we discovered when we talked about worship. You are not here to receive. You are here to give. My goal when I come to corporate worship is not, what am I going to get out of it today? What is God going to give me? My goal is to come and say, how can I give today? Who can I bless? How can I give of myself? Because the Bible is clear that when we begin to give of ourselves using our gifts, we begin to receive. And as long as you come looking to receive, you never will receive. And you'll go from church to church to church. I I didn't like the preacher, and I didn't like the music, and people weren't friendly. Why? Because you're looking for somewhere where you can get. And God says you need to find somewhere where you can give, because it's when you begin to give of yourself, all of a sudden you start receiving. We need each other. And if I need what you're giving or what you were gifted, and you aren't giving, guess what happens? I go without my needs met. That's why every person being a part of the body, giving and serving, works together to empower the Holy Spirit to take the message of Christ outside of these walls. There are several ways, and and I usually don't go through lists, but I'm going to give you several lists this morning. So if you like to take notes, you'll be happy with me today because I'm going to give you something you can write down. Usually I'm all over the place, but this morning I'm going to try to give you some things to think about. The Bible says there are three areas that we are called to minister to three areas that we are to use our gifts the first and the most obvious is to glorify and serve god the bible says everything that we do is to be done to the glory to the praise of god i serve so that god might be glorified i give so that god might be glorified i'm not up here preaching so that you can say the pastor did a good job or that rusty did okay or whatever it is that you might i'm here so that you can say glory to god 
We didn't sing so that the band could sound good or the choir could sound good or they were in harmony or the piano was in tune or the guitars. We were up here so that you might say, glory to God. And when you teach in the nursery or you change diapers down there or you go to your small group and you lead discussion in just a moment, you don't do it because that elevates you. You do it because you're hoping those people say, give glory to God. Everything we do, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything that we do in service, using our gifts, should give glory to God. Second way that we use it is to believers. You and I are called to minister, to serve one another in the church. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name by serving other saints. Keep doing it is what Paul tells them. We are to use our gifts to build up this body is what he says. When we come in here on Sunday morning, I'm looking for ways to use my gifts to bless each of us. We come to give glory to God. We give to give glory to God. We serve to give glory to God. But we also come to serve one another. But there's a third way. We serve those out in the world. Those that aren't in here. The unbeliever. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that you and I were called to be salt and light to a dark and tasteless world. And you can't do that as long as you stay within the confines of the church. We've got to get out and begin to reach out and minister to those. To engage our culture to be salt, to be light to those who are searching, to those who are hurting, to those who need healing. Our gifts to glorify God are here to serve each other and to serve our fellow man, especially those who don't know Jesus Christ. Now, what do we do when we serve one another, when we give ministry to one another? Well, there are four areas. Gave you three ways, four areas. Told you it was list day. The first way that we serve others is to meet their physical needs. We serve others by meeting their physical needs. That's what you saw on TV this week that blew me away, my heart. I, I stayed up all night, a couple of nights, worried about family and friends and, and, uh, and, and glued to the Weather Channel or glued to the different news organizations and Facebook and looking for posts because I didn't know. The water was rising that fast. People went to bed last Saturday night. Water wasn't even on their street. They woke up at 3 in the morning. They had two foot of water in their beds. Happened that fast. But without being told, without organization, without anybody getting out and saying, we need people, people all of a sudden Sunday morning were in boats and in big cars and those big jacked up trucks that Texans love so much. and They were riding through the water and rescuing people. And it didn't matter what politics they followed. It didn't matter what area of town they lived in. It didn't matter what their skin color was. It didn't matter who they were friends with. They were going door to door meeting needs of the people around them, the physical needs. Jesus says this in Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels are with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him, you and I, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goat on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. And I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer the Lord. When did we see you hungry or feed you? When were you thirsty? 
when did we see a stranger and invite you in or need closing, close you? The king said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers, you did for me. You and I are called to serve, to meet the physical needs of one another. That's the body. We're called to minister to the body, but not just serve and minister to the body. We're also called to minister to the emotional needs of others. Paul writes to Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See, we're not only are to meet physical needs, we're to meet people's emotional needs. We meet the needs of the body, but we also meet the needs of the heart. We're also to meet the needs of people's minds, the intellectual needs. Just a lot of people that don't understand this book. They don't know how to read this book. They don't know how to apply it to their life. There are a lot of people that are seeking, that are searching. Peter says this, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and kindness. We can't just be one-dimensional. If only 10% of the body is doing what God's called us to do, then maybe we can meet physical needs. But we miss out on the emotional and the intellectual needs of those around us. If we're only having a small group of people serving, then we are so one-dimensional that people are slipping through our grasp every day, even in this service, even outside the walls of this church, because we are called to serve as Christ's hands and feet, to meet the needs of the body, to meet the needs of the heart, and to meet the needs of the mind. But our main task is to meet the needs of the soul. We're called to meet people's spiritual needs. And that's the most important calling that we have. But please hear me. Sometimes you can't meet someone's spiritual needs until you meet their physical needs and their emotional needs and their intellectual needs. Sometimes we'll never be able to tell them about the message of redemption and reconciliation and grace and hope and love and peace and forgiveness if we first don't feed them. Now we can't get trapped in just feeding them or just meeting their intellectual needs or just meeting their emotional needs. Everything that we do in those realms should always be working to meet their spiritual needs because in meet those needs, we're meeting temporary needs. What the body needs, what the mind needs, what the heart needs, those are temporary needs. But what the soul needs is eternal. And our goal is to always serve with the goal in mind that one day I will be able to share the hope that is Jesus Christ. We need to understand that every person that we encounter has these needs. And you and I have been gifted to meet those needs, both as a church and as an individual. And it's when we begin to meet those needs that the Holy Spirit releases His power in our lives. It's when we say, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know, but I'm going to try. Is when the Holy Spirit steps in and begins to do. But He needs you to be willing. He needs you to be available. He needs you to be open. He needs you to say, yes, God, before you even see where He's calling you. But when we become self-absorbed, when we become self-focused, when we become too busy, when we sit on the sidelines and let other people do what God has gifted and called us to do, we rob the church of its life, we rob the church of its ministry, and we rob the church of its message. Now in this church, there's many ways you can get involved in ministry. We have a lot of opportunities. And I hope and pray, I, I didn't go check, but I think 
there's more than 10% of our church body serving in the church. But I probably would venture it's not more than 50. There's a lot of ways you can serve. You can join a, um, one of our ministries, like our worship ministry, and sing and play. Work in the back with the sound or the computer or the words, the lighting. You can join one of our outdoor teams that clean the snow or, or mow the grass. You say, I can't do any of that, so I can mow grass. Which, by the way, it's my turn this week to mow the grass, and I didn't get to it because of the rain, so don't call the church office complaining. And, um, <laughs> and if you see me tomorrow, it's not because I'm punished. It's my turn. I signed up. But you can sign up. You can sign up to serve and do one of those things. You can sign up in any of our ministries, in our youth ministry, our college ministry, our children's ministry, our women's ministry, our young adult ministry, our senior adult ministry that we're trying to start. And you can say, look, I want to serve here. But the greatest way that you can serve is serving on one of our ministry teams. Our ministry teams, they serve. I believe as God continues to bless this congregation, as we continue to grow, we have so many opportunities before us to minister that we can't afford to let them pass us by. Now, in the past years, we've allowed you to volunteer, and we've had sign-ups and set-ups, and you volunteered for serving on one year, and, and uh, some of the teams did great, and some of them didn't do so great. And so as we prayed about what God is leading us to do as a congregation and the deacons and the leadership and the staff, we began to feel like this year we are going to try to do something totally different. So what we've done over the last month, month and a half, is pray over every person that's a part of membership of this church. And we've tried to match what we think you might be gifted in to a ministry team. And in the next week, you're going to receive a letter. I just lost some of you, didn't I? <laughs> Boy, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? <laughs> you're going to receive a letter from the pastor that's going to say, I prayed and I would love for you to serve on this ministry team it's only one year and in the next couple of weeks we're going to have meetings that i'm going to be with each team and i'm going to task those teams the missions team the care team that goes and helps those that are hurting and in the hospitals planning mission trips organizations the family life team planning fellowships and things that we do in the church we're, I'm going to meet with them and i'm going to task those teams and then we're going to see what god can do if you'll take it and run with it See, I'm not asking for a big commitment. This isn't a huge time thing. But we can't afford to sit back and wait anymore. God has some great plans for this church, and it can only be achieved if you and I say yes. It's a way for you to discover your spiritual gifts. I, I promise you, some of you in this room, when I said that you're going to get a letter from me, start thinking, I, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is, Pastor. I don't know what I'm getting. You know the best way to do and find what your spiritual gift is? Experiment. Try. Because you'll never know until you try. You might not know how good you are at something until you try. But I promise you this. When you begin to try, you'll know real quick if you're not good at it. <laughs> if it's not your calling, you'll know. The Holy Spirit will tell you. But you'll never know if you don't go and try. Because it's the two greatest spiritual gifts we need right now from the church and from the congregation is we need availability and dependability. People that are willing to say yes and trust me. Now I know some of you are saying, Pastor, listen, you, I was there. I was with you. Okay, I, I understood. 
God's doing big things, and he needs more people, and we've got to get off the sidelines, and, and we've got to do something, but, but why me? Pastor, why, why should I do any of those things? I'm going to close with giving you a couple of reasons that I think are pretty important. A couple of reasons why I think every person in this church or you at your home church should be involved in service and ministry. The first is you are created and saved to be a part of ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Advance. See, God had plans for you. Plans to serve. Ministry opportunities. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus for the beginning of time. You have been saved to serve, not saved to sit, not saved to, to just come whenever you feel like it, not saved to, to decide by sticking your finger in the air what you want to do or don't want to do. You have been saved to serve God. Second thing, you've been gifted and equipped to serve God. Passages I read from Ephesians earlier. Why are there pastors and teachers? To equip, to prepare you. We are going to, in the next couple of weeks, prepare you to open your eyes to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. And it will be amazing if you'll let Him. But you're also gifted. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. You were created and saved to serve. You were gifted and you were equipped to serve, but you're also called and commanded to serve. Paul says about being served and serving in Galatians 1.15, God who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. You know what he's saying? He's saying there was nothing else I could do because this was what God called me to do. This was what God commanded me to do. You've been called, you've been commanded, you've been authorized and equipped and gifted and created and saved. But probably one of the most important reasons we need you to serve is because we need you as the body of Christ. We each need each other. That's what he was trying to say in verse 5, that we are a connection. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And we will never be whole as long as you're not willing to serve. We need you. You're gifted. You're equipped. You're called. You're commanded. You're created. You're saved. And the fifth thing is you will give an account one day. Now, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, God's not going to say, He's not going to look at the person that you've been serving with and go, you weren't as good as him or as good as him. You know what God's going to do? God's going to say, look, here's the gifts I gave you. What did you do with them for my kingdom? What did you do with them to my, for my name? What did you do with them to take my message of hope, to, to meet the needs physically, emotionally, spiritually of those around you? What did you do with them? She's going to look and say, look, Rusty, here is who I created you to be. This is what it would have looked like if you would have obeyed me, if you would have done what I called you to do. And I think in that moment, I'm going to see all of the opportunities that I missed because I was selfish, because I said no. The Bible says that is the only time there will be tears in heaven because we're going to look and we're going to recognize that we could have and we should have and we would have. Heard a guy on 
one of the news channels in Houston. He was in tears. He'd rescued 28 people, but all he could think about was the several that he missed. He said, we had to go back. The boat was full. But we knew these people told us there was somebody in that house. We couldn't get to them. Current was too fast. He saved all of these people. All of these people were there because he went out and did something. But he couldn't get past the one he didn't. I think you and I need to get a heart for all of those that we're missing because we're not obedient to what God's called us to. So you'll give an account. You're called. You're saved. You're committed. But the last reason I think you need to serve is because there is a reward to it. When you begin to find how you've been gifted and you begin to use it for the kingdom of God, you're rewarded like nothing else. The Bible promises when you give of yourself, you'll be fruitful. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, I in him, he will bear much fruit. Listen to me. When you begin to use your spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God, you will see results. Things will happen. You'll start seeing things in your life, in their life. There will be growth. You'll be fruitful. You'll also be fulfilled. There's nothing more satisfying. Nothing that leaves you walking away realizing your purpose in life than when you serve meeting the needs of other people. That's why I tell people who are depressed. I tell people who are struggling. I tell people who are are caught up in all of their problems, go out and serve. Go out and do something for somebody else because you know what happens? When you begin to do something for somebody else, all of your problems get real small. And you all of a sudden start getting a sense of fulfillment that I do have a purpose. I do have God's plan on my life. Rewarded when you serve. Not because we're going to put your name in the bulletin or call you up on stage or give you a plaque. Those are temporary. I'm talking about rewards that will change your life. You'll see results. You'll feel fulfilled. And the last thing that you will get is you'll be fortified. What I read earlier in Ephesians 4.12 said, so that the body may be built up. When you start serving, you start growing spiritually. You can't help it. When you say yes to God and yes to God and yes to God, and remember my old illustration of walking in the light, living sacrifices, God's here and we're, we're goal is to get closer to God. When you say no to God and no to God, or we don't say no to God, what do we say? Not right now, God. I got too much on my plate, God. I'm too busy, God. You don't know all that I'm going through. But with every excuse and rationalization, we take a step away. But every time we say yes, it may be a little step, it may be a big step. But every time we say yes, we step out on faith. And every time we step out on faith, we grow closer to God. Why should you serve? Because it's what you were created to do. It's who you're created to be. It was part of God's plan from the beginning. It'll change your life. Let me ask you, how many of you ever learned or studied a foreign language growing up? A language that wasn't the one you speak. How many many of you learned? How many of you can still speak it? What happened? I grew up in South Texas, bilingual culture. I had three years of Spanish in high school, four years of Spanish in college. I was fluent in Spanish. 1988, 1989, I could think in Spanish. Went on a mission trip to Mexico. It came so naturally to me. Seven years of Spanish. I also had Greek and Latin and Hebrew. 
Flash forward 20 years, my children are in junior high taking Spanish. And they come and they say, Dad, you know Spanish. You speak Spanish, don't you? Yes, I do. (laughs) They opened the book, and as I began to look at the book, I thought, I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Right? What happened? I stopped using it. Stopped using it every day. Stopped allowing it to be a part of my everyday life. And over time, the more I stopped using it and the less that I used it, all of a sudden it started going away. See, our spiritual gifts are the same way. If you are not using it, you are going to lose it. And you know what the worst part of losing it? Not that you don't get it, but that God is going to find someone else with your gift to do what He called you to do. They will get the blessing and they will get the protection of God. And you'll miss it. Right before she died, Mother Teresa went to Australia on a visit. While she was there, they hired and brought in a young pastor to be with her, kind of help guide her. He was so excited. He got to be around this godly woman. Going to get to be around her every day and talk and pick her brain. But he grew frustrated as the week went on. And and he thought, listen, I I, I haven't got a chance to talk to her because there's always been too many people around. And as the week drew to a close, he didn't know what he was going to do. He was missing an opportunity. So he developed a plan. She was leaving Australia and going to New Guinea. And so he, he said, I, I want to make a plan. And he went to Mother Teresa and he said, Listen, uh, I had not had a chance to talk to you much this week. And I was really praying about hearing some of your wisdom and listening to what you had to say. He said, If I buy my own ticket, can I fly with you to New Guinea and sit next to you? Mother Teresa said, You have the money to buy your own ticket? He said, Yeah, sure. She said, Well, then give that money to the poor because you'll learn a lot more through that act than I can ever teach you sitting beside me. Most of us would rather experience something than do something. But you never will experience until you do. Why? Because your gifts were given to be used. Use it or lose it. Let's pray.